Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are, of course, your host, Tim and Julie Harris. Guys, this is going to be a fantastic show. Um, and before we get started with, well, the topic is going to be 10 characteristics, 10 traits that rich people do, or in our case, rich agents have, that maybe you guys want to adopt. So we're going to go through 10 characteristics, and we're going to get through all 10 on today's radio show. That is the goal. But before we start with uh, characteristic number one, um, Julie and I, actually right before the show, and I put this on our private Facebook group and everywhere else, Wells Fargo has just come out with a new mortgage program. And I can read you the article, or I'll just summarize it. How about that? Yeah. 3% down, 3% down loans. Uh, a 427, or I think it was 429, something like that. Loan 427, cap. yep. 427, and uh, 620 credit score, okay? So for those of you who are, you know, hearing your moaning from your buyers, they didn't have this, they didn't have the other thing. Oh, and the other thing is, is the 3% doesn't even have to be their money. The 3% could come from some sort of city subsidy or can come from, I mean, you know, if you guys aren't familiar with all the different ways people can get down payments nowadays, go find an FHA, VA uh, lender, and not all your uh, bar, not all your lenders are going to be FHA VA lenders, okay? So go find an FHA VA lender, and then ask them about all the programs that are available. Depending on where you live, you know, in addition to you know veterans benefits and things like that, they might actually be able to get money from the city. There's down payment assistance programs for teachers, down payments assistance programs. Sometimes if you buy in certain neighborhoods, so if you're a firefighter or a police officer and you buy in certain neighborhoods, they'll I mean you get grant money, grants you don't have to pay back. So guys, <laughs> maybe this will be good, maybe this will be bad, be bad. I don't know, but the reality of it is, is all this sort of hijinks with getting loans done that were uh, maybe at part of the cause of the last housing bust, they're back. Now, from a macro level, from a top level down, I want you guys to ask yourselves why it is that the banks are doing deals like this, why it is that the government is motivating the banks to do deals like this. And the only answer is, is because they are freaking out because people are not spending enough money. So they're worried about the economy going into recession. Yesterday, you guys imagine, don't pay attention to this, there was a sale of U.S. bonds, and the, uh, the bonds actually sold for a higher rate. And that only happens because the government has to agree to pay more in interest, and still the interest was abysmal, a 10-year bond, but it sold for like the highest it has since 2008, which again means that the government is having to pay more in interest, guarantee a higher rate of return over 10 years, because the uh, folks around the world that buy U.S. bonds were not willing to buy it unless there was a higher guaranteed return. So we are clearly seeing evidence of the fact in addition to all the retail numbers, in addition to all the other economic stuff that we've shared with you guys over the past couple of weeks, that we are in a recession or will be in a recession. And uh, you know what? You're in the right place and you're at the right time and you're in the right industry. So just make sure you guys drill down and you're learning what it's going to take to basically be of service to folks as the economy starts to shift. So, but yeah, right now, if you've got some borrowers that are fence-sitting because they don't have down payments or they're worried about their credit not qualifying, there you go. I think, you know, Julie, the irony of it is, 
is I think your typical like subprime loan was like 580, 620 and 580. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not that much of a difference at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know. So I know. it's almost like Interesting. subprime lending is back. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, you know what? You know? That's we don't make the rules. We just want you guys to know what the rules are and be able to play the game. That's so, right, exactly. You know, <laughs> that's it. It doesn't matter but really what, re- what anybody's opinion is on it. You you know what the rules are. You'll probably get more buyers approved as a result. You know, make Heck good yeah. decisions, get them into the property. There you go. And, it, you know, you know the other thing, Julie, is this is a total recipe for another huge surge of underwater borrowers because, guys, if totally. someone only puts 3% down, you know, they're not going to be able to afford to sell if the market drops back by 10% or whatever, which you all know that will happen or can happen depending on your marketplace. Mm-hmm. It will happen, you know, more or less. Well, then you're going to have a bunch of underwater borrowers again. The whole the whole cycle starts again. Tim, that'll never happen again. We learned from the lessons last time. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's no, why the 3% didn't. down payments was 620 credit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't we just <laughs> mention that? All right. Wait a minute. So, um, okay, okay, shifting gears on you slightly, I also want to remind all of you, especially coaching clients, that every time there's sort of, I think, what, four or six times a year, when there's these little magical opportunities to pursue expired listings. They don't happen that often, like I said, four or six times a year. It's when you essentially have a weekend that's also over a holiday, a holiday weekend in essence, right? Because here's the thing. I'm sorry, you have a weekend holiday that's over a change of a month because there's always more expireds. There's always more expireds in the last day and the first day of the month. Uh, And so, you know, we're coming up on one of those now. So always more expires to the last day, first day. And there's always going to be um, more people at home during the holidays not working. So I know a lot of you are going to say, oh, what the heck, dude? You're telling me to call expires over a holiday? I'm never going to consider doing that. Well, then good. Another agent will. Another one of our coaching clients will, and they'll pick up some easy appointments. So you guys, if you are willing to make some contacts, you, you, you know, set aside some time, call some expired, use a great service like MojoSells.com. They absolutely kick ass of organizing your, your, essentially your calling system for you. You know, they keep track, they auto dial, they do the whole thing for you. Uh, and then make contacts over this weekend. Make contacts when you have a lot of people home during a, week, a holiday weekend. Generally, they're in good moods. Uh, other agents won't be calling because they're going to be at the beach eating hot dogs or whatever agents do on over holiday weekends. You guys get the point. So this is one of those four to six opportunities during the year when you actually will have a higher success rate calling expired listings than you will just on any normal day. And I'm sorry to all of you who did not want me to share <laughs> that little secret with 100,000-plus <laughs> listeners, <laughs> some of you I know, who basically uh, you know, make a fortune over the holiday weekends because you know all the other agents aren't calling. So anyway, That's now right. everyone knows, 100,000-plus of you. So <laughs> you have no excuse not to go after. Right. Um, yes. Okay, drill down. Julie, anything in particular you'd like, any emails or anything you'd like to share? Oh, uh, yeah, just a real quick email, very timely. Literally came in six, mo- uh, six minutes ago. If anybody has uh, any referrals going to beautiful Miami, Florida, Kyle Sanna, S-A-N-N-A, is your man. So here's Kyle's question. First, I just want to say that I'm a big fan of the podcast, and it's a big reason why I want to hire your company as coaches. Thank you, Kyle, for that. We will take very good care of you. Kyle says, I'm about to start my real estate career in Miami, but I'm curious as to what you think about starting my business right now in Miami due to what's happening in the market. I've been seeing a lot of similar market conditions now that occurred back in 07 and 08, and I'm wondering, with coaching and really hustling 10 to 12 hours per day prospecting, will this affect my ability to build a successful business, and should I be wary? I think that's a very well-written email, actually. 
um, with a lot of research behind it. Kyle's watching the market, sees some various market trends. And, and what I would say, and Tim, I want you to answer this as well, is it's huge opportunity. First of all, Miami is a fantastic market. It's one of our favorite markets. There's so many interesting things happening there. You guys have international buyers. You've got all sorts of fun stuff. Second home market, normal home market, it's all good. So it's not that it's more challenging to build your business. It's how you're going to go about it that will be different, Kyle. And I think there's actually generally more opportunity in a changing market than there is in a super tight market. What would you say to Kyle, Tim? First of all, thanks well, for uh, hiring us as your coaches. We appreciate that, and we'll be sure to follow up right after the call. This question is exactly like a question you get from someone in Manhattan or even uh, Brooklyn or someone that's in downtown Seattle or downtown L.A. or any area where there's been – I'll tell you where else you're going to see this. Not so much yet, but you will, downtown Austin. Any place mm-hmm. you see a ton of buildup, especially of condos, you're going to see condos in a market like this are always the first ones to depreciate. They usually go down the furthest, and they usually stay down the longest. And you're going to start seeing that. That happens every – this is not new information for anyone that's been in the business. This is the typical cycle. Miami is massively overbuilt. It should not be news to any of you that there is going to be a lot of depreciation, and, you know, it is what it is. So what you should do is you should embrace the fact that there is more opportunity. Now, so a lot of people think, well, Tim, in a market like what you guys, you know, what we're entering into, it's actually harder to make money than it is in a normal market. The exact opposite is true. It couldn't actually even be more wrong, that that thinking. Here's why. So, Kyle and everyone else, if you're, you know, willing to learn how to, for example, help people that are having are, are equity challenged, you can actually make a fortune because most agents won't be. Most agents will have an attitude about it. Most agents, and I, I don't use this word, you know, they're too lazy to learn. They just don't want to. They just want to work the easy deals. But if you're willing to basically learn the skill set that other people aren't, you're going to make the money that they won't, and you're going to basically have the success that they never will. It's really that simple. Um, in a changing market like Miami or all the other major cities, you have a mixture. And that's what's really, to Julie's point, exciting. I mean, you can, in Miami, you could work towers, for example. You could work towers of people. I would get signed up with the BPO companies right away. Kyle, this is your homework from your head coach. And I would start looking for those early warning signs that we told you guys about a couple of radio, uh, radio shows ago, well, a couple of weeks ago, that um, the, your markets are starting to turn, and you'll see that because the nature of the BPOs that are being ordered are going to be the types that get ordered when people miss their first payment. That's happening now in Miami for sure. Well, that tells you that you can start basically carving out a little niche of helping those underwater owners in those towers that bought five, six, maybe only you know a year ago, and you can help them sell the properties before the values lose any more. Not all the people that are losing or that are getting notice def- or basically missing payments. Not all of them are underwater. A lot of them just aren't making payments because they're not confident the investments are going to continue to go up. Things like that. People do raise, you know, interesting things. I had a call uh, yesterday with someone who basically had a listing appointment in Manhattan with um, somebody, Corey, Julie, who mm-hmm. basically has a seller who is a seller, uh, seventeen or fourteen million dollar condo. Well, she bought this fourteen million dollar condo in this luxury building, right? in this luxury building, and she's in contract, but she also signed an agreement that said that she can't sell it for a certain amount of time because she did, because the developer didn't want her to compete with him putting it for mm-hmm. sale. But guess what? The developer hasn't sold crap in this building. We did a story on this mm. uh, building. Yeah, so it's this big, beautiful, like once-in-a-hundred-year building that nobody wants to buy in because the units are too big, the units are too expensive, 
whatever, okay? So this gal is stuck with this $14 million white elephant that she can't sell, while the developer's basically, you know, positioning himself to lower prices. And what should she do? She needs to put a bow on that thing, and she needs to put that thing for sale as soon as she can and worry about the ramifications of whatever happens later. That's what she needs to do to get out of that property. And you guys are going to be running into sellers that are exact same situations, that are, like, not knowing what to do, and, you know, you're going to have tons and tons of opportunity. That's what's exciting. Now, in the same markets, you're going to have markets where people where the market's fantastic. You know, if you're in Manhattan, the Upper East Side, if you're in Columbus, Ohio, Clintonville, Beachwald, if you're in, you know, Orange County, Laguna Beach, I mean, there's going to be pockets where the market is going to be, like, immune to any kind of recession. Um, and you just need to know your market. You need to have in your toolbox enough different tools that you can help any kind of seller in any kind of situation. And a normal agent, what do they know how to do? I can list your house. I can help you find a house. Can you help me with this problem? No. Can you help me with this problem? No. Can you help me with this problem? No. They can mm-hmm. only do, they're like these sort of like cookie cutter agents. Those are the agents that are going to suffer, not you guys, because you're willing to actually learn how to not just, you know, survive, but thrive in any kind of market. By the way, if you're not in the Real Estate Coaching Essentials program by now, you're making a huge mistake. You're letting the opportunity get by. It's super simple. Just fill out that form, scroll down, fill out the form, name, email, phone number. When you do, we're going to give you those six free books. Take the call when we call you back, and we can get you into that coaching program. Everything we've always talked about on this radio show, in addition to that, you get all the REO information, all the BPO information. Um, there's no payment for 30 days. It's only $100 a month. It's a real live coaching program. You get four semi-private coaching calls a month, and you get a private call with your coach for a month. So go ahead and fill out that form. Julie, let's get right to our first point. Okay, you got it. So we're talking about the things that make rich people rich. What are the traits of rich people? Number one, they built wealth for the long haul. Their sizable accounts came from earned income and investing. In other words, It wasn't because grandma passed away and they got $2 million and now they're rich. They built it over the long haul. So the question I wrote down for all of our listeners is, are you saving what we coach you to do? And I'm sorry if this is a new thought for you because you're not in our coaching program, but this is one of the main things that coaches get you guys to do. Are you saving 10% from each check or are you planning on the big one coming in? Ah, just list something really big. I'll get that $10 million listing. I'll just save all the money when I do that. Are you planning on that happening so you can just sock it away? Or are you embracing an incremental savings plan? So many of our listeners might say, well, gosh, you know, when I get a commission check, I feel like I've got to spend it all on paying my bills, and it's so hard to save anything when I'm going from check to check. Well, guess what? That's another thing the coaches work on with you is helping you stop the cash spurts and get into the cash flow so that you have the opportunity to save 10%. Now, if you can't do 10% right now, start with 5%. Start with a flat maybe $500 off of every check. Every single one of you can do that if you take that money out of circulation for yourself. And the other thing that we coach you to do is that is a dedicated savings account. It's not a spendings account. That's why we call it a savings account. It does not have a debit card. It does not have a checkbook. It is your savings account. And secondly, you're not commingling that with your tax savings that you are also peeling off of every check so you don't get a surprise tax bill. So that was a whole lot of stuff in one point, Tim. Well, but here's the mindset shift. And I had actually, it's funny, we're talking about this as our first point. I had this exact conversation with clients today. <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. so when you are going on a listing appointment, you know, and you have, and you're, it's a sweet listing, you're going to get 7%, it's a motivated seller, all the stars in alignment, and you're competing. You're competing with two different agents. 
and, you know, your claws are out, your teeth are sharp, your eyes are, you know, you're ready for attack, right? You are having all your – that feeling that you have when you're going on an appointment like that is pure adrenaline. That is probably the best part of the real estate business. That's really truly the only part of the real estate business that I actually miss <laughs> are appointments like that. I know. But here's showtime. Yeah. Right, showtime. That feeling of absolute incredible excitement, like you're right on the pointy edge of the spear, okay? I want you guys – and hopefully all of you have experienced that dozens of times. But I want you for a second to hold that feeling inside of you. Now, what would it take for you to have that same level of intensity when it comes to saving money? How, what would that take? So right now, as Julie said, and all of us are raised this way, hell, when Julie and I got into the business, we acted like this. Oh, we'll just save when we have the big closing. We'll just pay our taxes when we have the big closing. Nobody actually takes the time to explain to you guys essentially how to accumulate wealth. Oh, well, you save money and you save money. Well, how are you going to save money if you're putting it in the bank and there's a negative interest rate that's going on? You'll lose money. Your money actually loses buying power. Those are all the types of things we teach you guys in the coaching programs. But here's the essence of it. If you don't have the same focus towards actually producing a net profit from your business and squirreling that money away so that you can then reinvest that money, you will never accumulate any money, ever, ever, ever. And nobody teaches you that. And, you know, the way our society is set up, you, if you're taking a paycheck, for example, you guys are, what, the government gets all their money first and what's left over is what's left over. Well, you, most of you, are able to basically control how your own money works. You can pay yourselves first. You can set up different types of accounts. And then what we want you to do is learn how to, well, right now, to be honest with you, what I want you to do is keep your powder dry and wait for the buying opportunities to come your way because they're going to over the next 6 to 18 months. You're going to see incredible buying opportunities. Buy those properties. Uh, pay cash if you can. And set yourselves up for finally being rich. And rich is simply where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. That means if you have to earn $5,000 a month to basically make all your ends meet, uh, then that means that we're going to work with you as your coaches to make it so that you have that amount of money coming in at least from ideally from passive, totally passive things. You wake up in the morning, you know you've got money coming in, you know you don't have to, if, if, you, you know, if you choose to go to the beach that day, you can. That's what the freedom is. That's what you guys were originally wanting to experience. That's why you got into real estate. You can manifest that. You don't need tens of millions of dollars to do that. Okay? You don't need to have these huge, ridiculous, you know, financial things to actually be financially independent. You can do it, many of you, you can do it on a relatively small amount of money, but you have to have the money, first of all, to put to work for you so that you one day can have that passive income. One day being 12, 24, 36, 48 months. You can't say 10 years or 15 years. It'll never happen. That's just you lying to yourself. Next point, Julie. Next point is rich people have nailed the basics. The rich people did not realize their biggest wins by taking huge risks. Instead, 86% said the biggest gains came through buying and holding investments, and 89% attributed their biggest wins to traditional stocks and bonds. So again, it gets back to, Tim, to your point. It's not on the individual deal. It's what you do with the commission that you make from your deals. So ask yourself, what are you investing in on a consistent basis? And, you know, I go back to Kyle's email. What an exciting time for him. He can start this right from the beginning with his very first yep. transaction and just acting as if he's already got all this in place, sets up his savings account, starts studying what he's going to invest in, and gets the ball rolling. So stick to the basics. Next point, number three, they're optimistic and opportunistic. 
the rich people's opinion on investment return potential over the next year skews towards the optimistic side, not the pessimistic side. They're ready to invest when they see an opportunity. Tim, you're fond of saying keep your powder dry. Keep your cash ready to rumble when you see that opportunity. One in five surveyed kept more than 25% of their assets in cash in large part to pounce when they see buying opportunities. So when you guys start to see some of those condo prices sliding and you watch that month over month, they're coming down, or you know, the first part of it is that they even level off, maybe that's your sign to pounce, but you've got to have your cash ready to go. So question is how leveraged are you versus having cash assets ready to take advantage of opportunities as they arise? That should inspire all of you to get cracking on your 10% savings accounts so that you can build that up over time, and then when you see something really amazing, you can just pounce on it. Next, they use their credit strategically. Nearly two in three of the rich people surveyed uh, use credit to build their wealth, but they do it strategically. So the question I wrote down for our listeners, how are you using your credit? How are you monitoring your credit? What's good credit versus bad? What is your credit philosophy? A lot of people had their credit philosophy radically changed in the last recession. Many of you have recovered by that from that. And remember, last go-around, after I mean, you guys had real estate clients that lived through the recession, after they actually got rid of a lot of property, what happened? Over time, their credit actually improved. So like it or not, we all have to deal with credit. How are you using it? So Tim, what's good credit versus bad credit and leverage? I mean, a lot of people preach that you want to leverage yourself out the eyeballs and you know you just use it and use it and use it and leverage yourself on up. So, so what's it's the Robert, credit and it, bad it, credit? Go ahead. It's basically Robert Kiyosaki versus uh, mm -hmm. Julie. Who's the uh, Money Matters guy? I'm having a brain fart. Do you mean uh, Dave Ramsey? Yeah, it's basically uh, Robert Kiyosaki versus Dave Ramsey, and they're in the death ring trying to fight. The showdown. <laughs> these convers <laughs> the showdown, right? Well, so here's the thing. They're both right. But where uh, Kiyosaki, uh, Kiyosaki basically is about using leverage to buy properties, um, rental properties and things of that nature. And on, theoretically, you can't argue with that if you can buy a low enough interest rate. But here's the problem. What a lot of agents do is they over leverage themselves. So, for example, we have many, 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 many people that we know during the last recession that were borrowing money like crazy on the anticipation of appreciation on properties, and that would be their golden goose, right? Well, when the depreciate when the in the houses, they didn't care if they cash flowed, they didn't care about anything. They just were banking on the appreciation. Well, that is mistake number one. So, when you're purchasing a property, especially if you're using leverage, i.e., a loan, as most of you will. Uh, if you think – just forget about appreciation. Don't even factor it in. You just want to look strictly at uh, the return on your investment. The more money you put down, the greater return on investment you'll obviously have. Uh, so as far as properties goes, and this is a core belief that we have, you only use your credit for buying appreciating assets. Cause, so, for example, if you buy a rental property and you do use your credit and you buy a nice little double or whatever, uh, that is going to cash flow – pay for the loan, so it'll be a self-serving debt. The debt will pay for itself. And hypothetically, you'll have a tax thing from that. And hypothetically, one day it'll pay paid off and that'll work towards you guys no longer having to work anymore. But if you buy, say, for example, and, and, and listen, I know sometimes you have to, especially when you're getting started, use your credit to buy things that are going to depreciate. A car, for example, okay? But those are, you know, ideally those are not frequent purchases and you can be strategic about that too. 
Um, you know, look for things that are going to be – ideally, you pay cash for a car. But if you're in a situation where you're making enough cash flow from your business, then you talk to your accountant about leasing it or buying it, or you buy a heavy sport ute and you use that one-time you know, $25,000 deduction and all that stuff, okay? So you, you have to think strategically. But really, the essence of your credit, the way you should use your credit, is what you – it's your backup plan. It's not your first plan. The backup plan is to use your credit to leverage yourself into opportunities. Your primary objective should always be to have as little debt as possible because here's what the, basically how this unravels. If you have too much debt, let's say you have 20 units, 20 houses, doesn't matter, 20 doors if you want to call it that, and let's say, you know, for whatever reason where these units are, the economy, that local economy goes to crap. You know, the local economy, the unemployment happens, whatever happens. Then all of a sudden half your units go vacant and you have too much debt on there. Not only are you not going to have cash flow, but you're going to have to, you know, go into your own pocket. And did I mention the economy is in a downfall? So now you're not necessarily having the cash flow you would have otherwise had. You lose that property, okay? Then you ruin your credit. Whereas if you were a bit more strategic, say, for example, you don't necessarily buy properties that are in your own backyard. You start buying properties that are all over the country, so you kind of, it's calling hedging, right? So you might buy some and, you know, you might buy some in Tennessee. You might buy some in Austin. You might buy some in L.A. You might, because then generally speaking, if you are strategic about that, you're, it's just like basically building a stock portfolio. You're going to have more of a balance. Um, so, yeah, the reason personally that we like rental properties is because stocks, generally speaking, you know, when you do get appreciation out of real estate, you get appreciation, you get depreciation because you can write it off in your taxes, and you get cash flow. Out of stocks, you don't really get that, do you? So that's the reason we really like real estate if your goal is to basically have your money working for you and you no longer have to work for your money. This is all part of Real Estate Coaching Essentials where we get into the weeds and help you guys cut through it. Don't just blanketly assume that debt is bad, but just don't blanketly assume that essentially taking out more debt and buying more properties is going to get you into the financial freedom end zone. Oftentimes, and recent history proves that it's, you know, that's a perilous plan. So be very cautious of that. Julie, next plan? Next point? The Sorry. next point is that the rich keep a close eye on the tax man. They are very attuned to potential tax implications of their decisions, with 55% of them saying that investment moves are a factor in these to better pursue than high returns. So what is your tax strategy, right? I can tell you from coaching hundreds of thousands of coaching calls that, by and large, agents don't have a tax strategy until they have a tax event that causes them to then have a tax strategy in the future. So <laughs> don't learn the hard way, right? This is one of the reasons why you have coaches to say to you, hey, you know what, when you get a commission check, it's not all your money. Some of that you're going to have to spend on taxes. So don't wait until you find out the bad news from your accountant and then try and scramble and say, oh, my gosh, I should have been saving for that. Learn from people who have come before you you know, it's great to be a commissioned salesperson and have that control, but only if you actually have that control and that discipline to sock money away for taxes. So rich people stay rich because they don't end up getting into tax trouble. Here's the thing. The IRS, not all that negotiable. They really like their interest rates. They really like their penalties. And once you get too far into that, it's awfully hard to recover. It's a common thing that we have with incoming one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. You know, the coaches... I'll ask, do you have any trailing tax issues? And it's fairly common to hear, yes, is it state, is it local, is it federal, what's the tax situation? 
And that's one of the things that we help you never have to deal with again as long as you live. And the only way to do that is with discipline. That is a tenet of wealthy people. That's one of the ways that they stay that way. So, so a quick, a quick, of, little, suge- yes, a, a quick yes. little suggestion, but I'm going to uh, re- remind you guys we're not tax advisors, we're not uh, attorneys, yes. we're nothing like that, but you need to ask your various professionals about all of you individual real estate practitioners, every single one of you listening right now, remember you are self-employed. You, your broker has your license, but you are self-employed. You should seriously consider forming a subchapter S. Just write this down. We're not going to get into it. You, this is something your coach would go over with you, you know, in our coaching programs for the sake of the radio show. Do this on your own. Ask your uh, tax person about you being a su- owning a subchapter S. You are a sub S, sorry. And then as a sub S, you are an employee of the sub S, and you receive a paycheck from the sub S, and the paycheck has all the taxes and whatnot taken out of it. And then any extra monies that are left over are then paid to you as I think they're called distributions, but they're paid as a, at a lower tax rate. For most of you, that will save probably at least 10, maybe as much as 15% off the taxes you pay, what I just told you. So please absolutely positively talk to your tax professional about that. And if you are just paying yourself straight up, as a sole practitioner, in other words, you're not running it through any kind of corporate structure, especially a sub-S, the government loves you because you're paying the absolute highest tax rate you possibly can. And I know some of you are guilty of that. Don't wait for your broker or your office manager. Don't even wait for your CPA. Don't wait for your pastor or your rabbi to tell you what I just did. You need to take action on it. Nobody is going to help you guys accumulate wealth. If you think that all of a sudden, once you cross into some sort of financial threshold, you know, Obama likes to call it the 1%, that somehow magically the clouds clear and you know what actions to take, and all of a sudden you start getting access to the secret book of how to build wealth, that's not true. You guys need to write your book yourself. Julie, are you there? Oh, she's off. Okay, so she wanted me to remind all of you guys, if you've yet to fill out the form, go ahead and do that, and you'll get a call back from someone from our office. Um, and we'll answer any questions you might have about Real Estate Coaching Essentials. Guys, if you need to get hold of Julie or I directly, please email me directly at tim at timandjulieharris.com or julie at timandjulieharris.com or answer any questions you guys might have. We love the feedback we get from you. We love the fact that, you know, frankly, you guys are really listening and taking action. We do get a lot of emails from you guys, uh, and we don't always necessarily – um, you know, we don't read them because some of them are very, uh, they're very personal. So we got through point number six today. So it looks like we'll be finishing up the other points on the next radio show. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.